What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. Do we want to compare bylines? How many? Harry Horn. We're supposed to keep this thing moving, be fresh. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about Mavericks. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. And welcome into our latest Ballsy Podcast. This is a NBA Mavericks podcast where we have two guests. One, the inimitable. Now they're both waiting to see who I call inimitable. I'm Barry Horn, by the way. We have the inimitable Chuck Cooperstein, the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks, and Chris Wagner sitting in for Evan Grant and Kevin Sherrington, who are both out on vacation. Chris is the Dallas Morning News critic. Is, is you just a critic at large? Culture, they call me culture critic now. Cultural critic yes. and bandwagon jumping Golden State Warrior fan. Uh, I sure. We'll talk about that. All right, we'll talk about that. Chuck, good to have you. Thanks for coming on. We know you're on your way to Las Vegas for the NBA broadcast uh, meetings. What what goes on there? Uh, it's, uh, you know, just a chance to do a lot of best practices kind of stuff. And, and really, more than anything else, just uh, a chance for all of us to be in uh, one room uh, at the same time. Because even during the course of the year, we really don't get to see each other very much because we're all pretty much doing our own things a lot of times. So it's just... Uh, it's nice to have all of us together, and uh, you know it's a it's a pretty tight fraternity. Let's let's face it, you know for for play by for play by play guys, there there are there are sixty of us, so thirty on radio, thirty on television, and so there you know you think there are seven and a half billion people on Earth, and there are only sixty who do what we do. It's really pretty cool. Who's the dean? Who's the dean of radio, and who's the dean of TV? Uh, the dean of radio is Al McCoy in Phoenix. Uh, Al's been doing it. I, I don't believe he was the original Suns announcer, but I believe he's been there since nineteen, at least nineteen seventy. Wow! Uh, and, and he and you know he sounds as as good as ever, and he's as, as engaged as ever, and you know lives and dies with it as, as much as he ever has. It's he, he's a he's a treasure. He's an absolute treasure. TV wise, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know who the dean is. Uh, I know Mike Gorman in Boston is, has been doing it a long time. Mark Zumoff in Philly. Uh, has been there uh, quite some time, uh, but I'd, I'd have to think about that from the TV side. All right, let's let's jump in and talk about uh, Dallas Mavericks. Uh, let's talk. Let's go back before we get into the summer league uh, stuff. You, and I assume you'll go watch the Mavericks play in the summer league out there in Vegas. I will. Okay, uh, and they had a pretty successful summer league in Orlando. I think they they were four and zero. They they were five and zero. They won. Yeah, five and zero. Five yeah. games in six days. Didn't somebody tell them they have to tank? Rings, baby. They got rings. <laughs> hey, they they are they are undefeated since uh, April the twelfth. There you go. Their, 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 their last loss came April eleventh at home against Denver. <laughs> are, are you excited about Dennis Smith? And is he Dennis Smith or Dennis Smith Jr.? Well, I'm trying to get to the bottom of that too. I, I've asked him, and he he says whatever. I said <laughs> Dennis, that doesn't that I said that doesn't help me. <laughs> whatever. So I called the people at NC State, and uh, you know, from a, from a public address standpoint, you know, they they always introduced him as Dennis Smith Jr. And obviously, on the box score, he's listed as Dennis Smith Jr. I'm tr- 
trying to get a hold of their play-by-play guy, Gary Hahn, and not been able to do that. He may be on vacation, for all I know, and see what he did uh, as it relates to that. And, uh, you know, I'll just take it from there. My, my first inclination is to, uh, you know, when I do the lineups, uh, identify him as Smith Jr., and then uh, in the course of the game, just do Smith. Will you have to get with Followell on that to make sure you guys have the same, you're on the same page? You think that's important? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm asking you. <laughs> no, no, I've, I've, I've not spoken with Mark uh, on this yet, but uh, I'm sure we, we will get to the bottom of this in, in all due time. I really yeah, enjoy I think it. On TV, I, think, I think on TV, you know, when, when NC State games were on, they, they referred to him as Smith. So, but, but again, that's different from, uh, you know, from your, from your regular guys. So, I enjoyed watching him over the weekend in the, uh, I guess it would be the Vegas debut game. Um, I'm wondering what kind of defensive player he is because he obviously has a ton of skills and he's really fun to watch and he's got hops for days. Do you think he's the kind of guy who's also going to gonna lock in on D when needed? Uh, I think that's the thing he probably needs to learn the most about and he has said that from the get-go that, uh, that defense was not really emphasized at North Carolina State, and playing defense in college is entirely different from playing it in the NBA. Uh, there's just so many things you have to learn, especially as it relates to you know, how you use your hands and just even how you, you, you play pick-and-roll, since there are about 10,000 ways to, to defend pick-and-rolls, it seems. Uh, but uh, he's very well aware of that. He's got great anticipation playing in the passing lanes. You could see that uh, just in the Vegas games, but just – you know, playing on the ball and playing as part of a in, in a team concept, I think that's going to take some time for him. And and frankly, you know, on the ball defense uh, in the NBA today, with the rules as they are, uh, on the perimeter is, is almost impossible to achieve because you you really can't put your hands on anyone above the foul line. It's an automatic whistle. Uh, you know, it seems like they just allow a ton of contact around the rim, but outside. Uh, as these guys are getting started on their drives into the lane, if you touch them, the whistle's going. And that's something that's a rookie he's going to have to be really careful of because uh, their uh, officials will, will never say this and never admit to it, but clearly there's an indoctrination that comes with rookies into the NBA. Those 90s Knicks just ruined all hand checks forever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Show, showing... Well, them and the Bulls and uh, and and the bad boys, yeah, the bad boys. of the eighties. You know, there there are a whole bunch of them. Chris showing more NBA knowledge than Kevin Sherrington and Evan Grant combined <laughs> already. That's a, a historical. Uh, now those guys are going to hear. You're, you are hurting their feelings. Those guys are going to listen to this, and they're going to be all over. Oh, them. they fried. I was I was out last week. Those guys. I was in uh, Alaska. They fried me. Uh, so I, I have no problem. I have no problem with that. Um, so let me ask you this. The Mavericks took Smith at nine. Would they have taken him at eight? If they had the eighth pick, uh, if, if 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 he was if he was available yes. to them at eight, I I think I think they would have. Would they have taken? Think they would have. Would they have taken him at seven? Tell me who else is available. I mean, is, is Isaac off the board? Isaac. So Isaac was picked at six. You know, we'll, we'll just say Isaac was six. Markin yeah. was seven. So, is that yeah, right? Was. Uh, yeah, Markin and Markin and went, Markin and went seven. They yeah. were not. They were not taking Markin, and they were not. So yes, I would say that uh, he would he would have been picked uh, at any one of those spots. How about six? But, uh, he, been... but he would not. He would not. He would not have been picked out of Isaac. Okay, so are they liked Isaac better. Yes. And Fox. And Fox. Okay. And and you know and 
I mean, I know what they said uh, the other day about you know having him as the number two ranked guy you know, coming into the season. Right. I mean, look, there were issues that they that they definitely had to uh, do their homework on just to make sure that they were that they were taking the right guy. Right. And uh, and and good and good for them for doing that. And and good for them. You know, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And clearly, they, they were very fortunate as the draft unfolded and things dropped the way they did. And so they they wound up getting a guy who uh, I, I dare Barry, you you've been around here as long, if not longer than I've been. Uh, there have been very few rookies that the Mavericks have ever drafted, uh, certainly since 1984 when I first got here, uh, that have the, the fan base seemingly as juiced as they are right now to, to as they are watching or the thought of watching Dennis Smith play. Well, I, I beat you here by three years or so. So then, of course, there was the Mark Aguirre. Rolando Blackman, Dennis, Derek Harper, uh, Jay Vincent in Jay, the second round. Jay Vincent in the second round. But but I'm just talking about the years, and people people were pretty juiced about them. People were not juiced about Detlef Schrempf, I don't think. No, they weren't. And, they were not, and they and they certainly weren't juiced about the two picks that came after that. Yeah, no, no, and and of course I was my first Maverick draft. I did the fantasy draft. Uh, uh, not the fantasy draft, the actual mock draft, and it was the Bill Garnett year, and people were not uh, juiced about him in the least. I thought LaSalle no, not, Thompson. Not a, yes, uh, you know, who went on to certainly be a, a more than acceptable uh, NBA player uh, in, in his time. But uh, look, th- this kid, he, he has the proverbial it. Whatever it is, uh, you know, he, he just exudes a confidence on the floor that uh, that is is very evident, uh, and I think that uh, when he starts playing with real NBA players, it's it's going to uh, manifest itself even more. Right. I, I, you know, especially just in in how just in how he carries himself, the poise that he plays with. Uh, you know, he, he's got this, obviously this incredible athletic ability, but uh, he also has a sense of. You know what a what a point guard has to do. Can he score? Yeah, he can score. But I think he really does like to pass, and I think his assist numbers at NC State would have been significantly higher had he been playing with players that actually made shots. Could, could he, he still made over six assists a game? As the father of a point guard, I can uh, I could I I know how that feels. How will he fit into the locker room culture of the Mavericks? And I think he'll 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 watch. At first, I mean, because there are there are guys to learn from, and he knows that there is you know, to, to learn from Dirk, to learn from West, to learn from Harrison Barnes, to learn from Devin Harris and JJ Barea, and and just and and I, I mean, I think he's confident in his athletic ability, but uh, the leadership of this team should not fall to a 19-year-old, and I think he knows that, and uh, he's I, I think he's he's smart enough to to uh, gauge the temperature of the room. And to know where he stands in that room, and that at first it will be his play, you know that that determines the the pecking order. And uh, the older he gets, the more mature he gets, uh, the more obviously that he's seen around the NBA. Uh, that leadership role will will take on greater impact. Uh, you know, I don't know how long Dirk's going to play. I, I think this is going to be his last year, but you never know. I mean, who, Wesley Matthews, is he going to be around here more than two years? Or, or for that matter, uh, are, are Barnes, uh, Berea, and, and Harris, all of whose contracts uh, can expire within the next two years? Now, Dennis Smith, for sure, is the only guy that's going to be here three years from now. 
of that group. So, and by that time, he'll be the ripe old age of 22. So, Chuck is Chuck is there. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And I was just going to say, so so it, it, it will. I think it will grow organically. Uh, but but uh, if he is everything that we seem to believe that he's going to be, then uh, he definitely will be that, and he will take on that role. Chuck, is there anybody else on the summer league roster that you think has a chance to make the team, or anybody else that just has impressed you these last couple of games? Well, you know, the Mavericks had Brandon Ashley in their camp a couple of years ago, and he really didn't do very much. Uh, but but he's gotten better. He was very good in Orlando. He's been very good here. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he got uh, that second the two-way contract that the, you can now have in the NBA uh, to where he plays the majority of the time in the, in the D League, but he can be on the active roster for up to 45 days. Uh, and as for the you know the other open roster spot, I, I think the Mavericks want to keep that open for now just to give themselves as much flexibility as possible. Uh, you know, the, the Chinese kid, uh, Ding Yaniwang, uh, I mean, he's been – I wasn't very impressed the first few games I saw him, but the, the last several games, uh, he has definitely uh, gotten a lot more comfortable on the floor, a lot more comfortable with uh, how things are done in the NBA. He's still got a bit of FIBA in him, you know, touching the ball on the rim, uh, which you can do in FIBA, but you can't do in the NBA. Uh, but uh, he, he, he guards people, he's, and he's willing to get into people's stuff, and I think uh, the Mavericks have appreciated that. Uh, I, I think they would love to bring him over. I just don't know that uh, what his situation is uh, regarding his contract in China, if that actually would be allowed to happen. What, are, what about our friend from down the road here at Baylor, Jonathan Motley? I, I love bringing him in uh, and love bringing him in in this role especially. Uh, I, I think his, his knee isn't quite right yet, uh, but uh, anyone who can get 30 and 20 against a, a power five, uh, conference team in, in NCAA basketball I want to pay attention to. Uh, and Jonathan Motley did that against Texas last year. He has one skill that the Mavericks desperately need, uh, which is rebound. Right. Uh, he, he knows how to go find the ball. And, re, you know, rebounders are generally born. They're not made. And when you have a team that was far and away the worst rebounding team in the NBA, uh, to, to have somebody around who has that particular skill set, is, is very important. Offensively, he's got to be able to extend his range a little more. He hasn't shot the ball well. He hasn't caught the ball well either when he's been in traffic, which kind of surprises me because I just recall watching with Baylor mm-hmm. that uh, when he'd get it in tight quarters, uh, he'd snatch it and finish it. But uh, the ability to finish is related in two ways here. One, how healthy is he? I'm not sure that he is. And number two, clearly, even in the summer league level, he's playing against a lot better athletes than uh, he normally would have playing in college. When things get cooking next season, you know, I'm not saying at the start of the season, what would the start, what do you envision the best starting five to be? Well, I think the, the starting five will be uh, Smith, Matthews, uh, Barnes, Dirk, and Noel. Uh, now I could I could see the scenario where you know Dirk starts at five uh, and they they move everybody down and uh, Noel comes off the bench and they play you know they play Curry together but uh, but you wind up being really small uh, in the backcourt and that's a problem. That doesn't help you really rebounding. It. No, it, it doesn't help on any imaginable level. And that's other than Dirk, who really had a terrific rebounding season 
last year. In fact, by you know, by per 36 minutes, it was his best rebounding season in over a decade. Which think I mean, it's just preposterous to think about. But a lot of that had to do with him playing center. I mean, Barnes right now is not a good rebounder playing at the four. You know, Wes is not a really good rebounder. One way uh, that we've seen earlier that Dennis Smith is going to help them, it looks like, is his ability to rebound. And in a game that has become more three-point centric, uh, long shots mean long misses. Long misses mean the ball comes out to where guards got to get the ball. And, De- and Dennis Smith has shown a nose for going to get the ball. I, I don't think the, I know the Mavericks did not have a guard average, if you consider Wes a guard, and kind of split his time between sure. the two and the three last year. But they did not have a guard that averaged uh, three rebounds a game. And that's just unacceptable. You, you, you've got to be better in that area. And, and Smith will certainly help them there. Uh, and playing a bigger lineup uh, would, would help them in that regard, even if it doesn't necessarily help them as much offensively. Uh, and, you know, you have to kind of strike that balance that's where the game is going right now. You know, people, you're trying to score 115, 120 points a night to try to match the Warriors uh, or match the the Rockets. It's a it's a dangerous way to play, quite frankly, because you're you're just so reliant on that. You need to be able to get stops, and the possession, as Rick likes to tell me all the time, doesn't stop until you actually get the rebound. So I've got more of a Chuck Cooperstein question than a, a Mavericks question, real quick. So I am I am in awe of your ability to navigate the waters of sports twitter which is which has just always struck me as kind of a hostile and not always informed neighborhood and you do it with such good humor and efficiency and then you're still able to let people know and you you think they might be full of it i'm wondering what your approach is to doing that well the the approach has always been you know i just when when i see stuff that looks ridiculous <laughs> I'm going to try to call them on uh, and, and, and try to, to, edu- to educate them as much as anything else. Now, you know, we, we have you know, some, there are some real fundamental disagreements. The biggest one, obviously, is about Darvish uh, with the Rangers uh, and, and what ultimately his value is. But, uh, you know, I've always looked at myself as, you know, someone who's, who just who loves to talk sports, period. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're all better when we're all smarter, and and I like to believe that. While I don't, I don't have every answer. I certainly don't have that. Uh, and, and you know, people can educate me, uh, and they have on Twitter. I, I like to think that uh, that I can do the same. This is the Sport, Sports Day Ballsy Maverick podcast. We're gonna, we're going to have a Sports Day Ballsy Rangers podcast with our guest Jerry Fraley, who I think may agree with you, Chuck. I don't know what that says about Jerry, but I think he may agree with no, you. No, you know what? If, if, if the gray frails is in my corner, I feel that much better about my position. So I, I know I'm, I know I'm out outnumbered here, and let's. I just want to talk about it. You said you said the secret word a couple of minutes ago: the Golden State Warriors. Uh, are you are you a Warrior bandwagon fan, Chuck? And because I know Chris is. <laughs> I love watching the Warriors play. I cannot get enough of watching the Warriors play. And anybody who thinks that they're bad for basketball is clueless, completely clueless. That what they are doing, how they play, is raising the bar for everybody. And good on teams like Houston. And for that matter, most of the teams in the Western Conference 
who have decided, you know what, we're, we're going to try to beat them. We, we want to do whatever we can to try to be better. And even Utah, in, in losing Gordon Hayward, they certainly didn't want to lose Gordon Hayward right. uh, because they, they knew that having Gordon Hayward would allow them uh, to have a better chance with the addition of Ricky Rubio. I mean, that, that, the fact that they made the move that they made to get Rubio tells you everything about where Utah was prior to Hayward going elsewhere. But uh, the way the Warriors play, the, the joy that they play with, uh, it, it's, it's just contagious to me. Uh, you know, the, the only bad part a lot of times is uh, when, on nights when the Mavericks are playing and, uh, and the Warriors are playing uh, on the West Coast, that, uh, you know, I don't get to watch games from the start. Generally, I have to only catch the fourth quarter when I get back to the house. But Chuck, it's, TiVo, it's, Chuck, TiVo, TiVo. Uh, no, I, but it's, at that point, it's too late. At that point, it's way too late. I don't, I don't want to see that. I, ca- I can't do that. I'm, I'm really bad about that, in fact, um, because I'll have known what's going on in the game already. And so to be able to, to go back and do that is, is very difficult for me. See, it's still it's still very surreal to me because I grew up watching so much horrible basketball in that building um, over the years, starting in the late '70s, and then had a little period in the '90s when Nelly got there, where they were kind of fun, and you had Run TMC. Um, but man, did I see a lot of bad basketball at the Oakland Arena, as it was called then. And yes. it's just does... well, I, I will tell you, Chris. I will tell you, it, it's far and away my favorite building in the NBA. It's not even close because it, 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 because the fact that there are people like Chris Wagner who have been going to games there forever and ever and ever when they were a 25 win team when they were a 30 win team it's not that they necessarily were selling out every night but they were incredibly loud and so into it and just really really nauseable about the NBA uh, it it was it was really always fun. And now that they are this juggernaut, it's absolutely insane. Uh, you know, there's no screaming PA. Uh, there's no uh, there's no music, you know, while the game is going on. It, it's just about their fans going nuts. And it's, you know, other than, you know, you might get uh, some like recorded organ banging or something like that. But uh, it, it's, it's just, it, it's not necessarily what the best practices of the NBA are as far as a, a game presentation is concerned. Their fans are so good, they don't need a game presentation. They just they just carry the day. And, and I just love being a part of that experience. I'm actually a little scared that that's not going to carry over into the new arena in San Francisco. It's a big issue. Will they be priced I, I, I out? It, Will fans be priced out? I, I think it's going to be a huge issue for them, and they know it. They're very, very aware of that. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see their their team president, a guy named Rick Welch, is a really creative guy, um, and and the Warriors know that they are sitting on a, a, a juggernaut of a, of a franchise that was bought what seven years ago for four hundred fifty million dollars that's now worth about uh, two and a half billion, uh, and and on its way up with the Chase Center opening in about two years. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. You know, do they get the 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 regular Warriors fans to come over there and not become you know a wine and cheese type of crowd? Now, I will say, at least as it relates to the Giants in San Francisco uh, at AT and T Park, there. I mean, that's certainly one of the great venues in baseball today, and their fans are really into it too. So, um, I guess I have more faith that it will translate uh, over there. 
uh, to, to the new building than, than it might have in some other situations. Chuck, I think you should know that Chris is sitting opposite me wearing a Ricky Henderson T-shirt. <laughs> I guilty, think that's a Ricky Henderson guilty T-shirt. Guilty as charged. So he, he, so he obviously likes the, you know, it yeah. being called Ricky Henderson Field they at uh, the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. I mean, I just feel bad for Oakland in a sense, too, because, I mean, they lost the Raiders again. Um, the A's play in a building that I don't think anybody would ever mistake for a good ballpark at this point. Um, and, and they're going to lose the Warriors. It's, it's, I don't know. This Oakland's a very kind of proud working class city, or at least it has been now. Now it's becoming another kind of Silicon Valley hideaway where the rents are going through the roof. But, you know, time, times change, I guess. You know, I, I, you. I, I was, I was on a bus with somebody the other day in, in Alaska and we, I was commenting about the rising rates of, uh, real estate per square foot uh, in Dallas, and uh, the, g- the guy says to me, well, I come from a town where it's $1,000 a square foot to buy a house. Is that right? In San Francisco? Yeah, and Oakland is now, I think, I heard the fifth highest in the country, fifth highest rents, average rents, which just boggles my mind because Oakland was the place you didn't walk around at night. Well, it still sort of is in parts of it. Uh, when I was growing up there, and I'm like, how are how are you getting these rents in Oakland? But it's 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 Oakland. I mean, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful part of the country. Chuck, say. you'll you'll appreciate this. I have a friend whose daughter moved to New York, and he was talking about maybe buying a uh, condo brownstone for her in Bedford Stuyvesant. Okay. Oh my goodness! Yes. For over a million dollars. Bedstuy, do or die. Think about I, that. I, I, Gentrification? Is that what we're talking about? Here? I, I, I guess, I guess, but we we digress. What, what what about the Mavericks? Let's let's get back to the Mavericks. What would be a successful 2017-2018 season for them? I'm right. Well, I, I mean, to, to me, it's it's being as as competitive as they can possibly be for as long as they can possibly be, and see that uh, you know that there is a future. Dennis Smith and Harrison Barnes and Nerlens Noel and Seth Curry uh, and and you know try to add on to that next year. I mean, if they if they, if they made the playoffs, I mean, it would be astonishing. I don't I don't think they can, but you know I'll, I'll never as long as you know Dirk's around, as long as Carlisle's coaching them, uh, I, I will never rule that out because I do know in a stretch last year from uh, mid December through the middle of March. Uh, they had the fifth best record in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, which is astonishing when you think about a team that began four and seventeen and two and thirteen. So they they believe that even with the addition of Smith and having Noel here for a a full go, that uh, that they're going to be that much better and that much more competitive. And frankly, they'll need to be because everybody else in the West is, is ridiculously competitive right now. It may not be good enough for them to get there, but if they wind up picking ninth again next year uh, and, say, having won you know, 37 or 38 games, that's, that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. Do you have a magic uh, formula for them to keep uh, New Orleans healthy? Uh, I mean, I, I tell you what, if, if Casey Smith can't keep him healthy, then nobody can keep him healthy. Because that man is a magician when it comes to players' health, as as good as anyone that there is in the NBA. Milk, milk will do it. Lots of milk. Lots of milk. 
Chuck, uh, we, we just want to thank you for being with us uh, this morning. I know. Are you at the airport already? No, I'm. Uh, I'm still at the house. I'm, I, I live. Clo- I live close enough to the FW. But, uh, I'm. I'm about ready to get out the door. Wait, do you like? Are you flying on a private jet up to uh, Vegas, or are you flying commercial this time? Who do you think I am? Come on, man. Well, but, but you you fly private jet during the season, don't you? Charter I fly with the team. Charter, yeah. What so with so the team. so? What's the difference? Give us give us people who've never flown on on a private jet on a, on a charter. What what's the what's the big benefit? Well, uh, basically, you you don't go through a whole lot of security. Right. There's no there are no, there are no lines. Uh, you get on the plane every every on the Mavericks plane every seat is a first class seat. Uh, there is uh, there are there are food choices uh, that uh, you know there's always meat, uh, uh, steak, uh, chicken or fish or something like that uh, on on the plane. Uh, there are snacks, there are drinks, there, and, it's, and it's, you know, and there's, there's plenty of room to work. You can spread out. Uh, it's, uh, it's phenomenal. It's, <laughs> I highly recommend it if you can do it. Do, do they have a points plan, or is, is there an advantage plan? Or? No, no, it's like somebody always says to me, well, you know, this guy, you fly with teams, so you, you don't get hotel points or, or, uh, or inline miles. I just say, wait a minute, can we just tap the brakes here? Can we just stop this for a second? I mean, who complains about that? I want to know. Does Eddie Sefko complain about that? No, Eddie Sefko doesn't complain about that. No, he doesn't. There are people outside of our business okay. who say, "Well, you don't, you don't get points, or you don't get, uh, you know, you don't get miles." Okay. <laughs> so you're saying it's, me. It's, yeah, I, I believe me. When we uh, when we walk into the St. Regis in San Francisco, I'm not thinking about that. Really, really, Chuck. Thanks so much for being with us. It, w- it was great having you here. Uh, you and Chris, uh, the the NBA IQ on this podcast is the highest it's ever been. That's all I'll say. I'm not worthy. That's no, 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 no. Said, no, no, no. So, so what? So we went from zero to one. That's no, we no, 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 no. <laughs> because you know Evan sits here when we talk NBA, and, and he and he's on he's on his laptop the whole time trying to get some stuff. Kev, Kevin is Kevin's from Texas. He he didn't grow up with the NBA. He didn't grow up watching the the sixteen. Hey, by the way. Was it, were the Knicks nineteen sixty nine uh, championship team? It was sixty nine, right? Seventy. Sixty nine seventy. Okay, they had how many Hall of seven Hall of Famers on that team? Was that a super team? Uh, all the let's see, all uh, is Dick, Dick Barnett's not in the Hall of Fame. So you, but, you had DeBusher, Bradley, Reed, Frazier, is, uh, Red Holes in the coach. Is Cassie Russell in the Hall? Is Cassie Russell in the Hall of Fame? No, Cassie Russell's not in the Hall of Fame. Okay, no. I don't. I don't. I don't believe he is. Okay, so maybe, sure you know what? Maybe I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking of the next championship team in '73 when they had Earl Monroe and Jerry Lucas as well. Right. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because then, well, then you're up. Yes. Then you're up to six, and the coaches and the coaches seven. But now you got Tim Hardaway Jr. So things are, you know, <laughs> going to return to that. Never mind. No, and I, I got to tell you, you know, it's funny. The general manager of the Knicks, well, the guy who's running the Knicks right now, is a guy named Steve Mills, and I went to high school with Steve Mills. Oh. And played ball and played ball with Steve Mills in high school, well, and uh, it, it's it's killing me right now to see what's going on there. I mean, I I appreciate that he is a survivor of uh, the the Dolan Gulag, uh, <laughs> but at the same but at the same time, you know that he, he's getting he's getting raked over the coals. It's just, there's a part of me that's just dying a little bit. Give your high school a plug. What high school was it? Friends Academy in uh, Locust Valley, New York, on Long Island. Wow. All right, Chuck, thanks so much for being with us. Travel safe. We'll catch you on the other other end.
Thank you, Chuck. Okay, thanks a lot. Take care. Chris, was was that was that a pleasure listening to a guy who who knows what he's talking about about the NBA? Yeah, I mean, when I said I'm not worried, I mean, I mean, I've listened to this guy all the time, and he's. I he's, grew up. I grew up listening to. He Chuck. is one of my favorites, and I'm not saying that just because we 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 had him on the air. And I am really impressed by, again, the Twitter thing. He just handles people with such. Such he's not a jerk on Twitter when everybody a lot of people are being jerks to him, and that's I think one of the things that that really impresses me. All right. Well, we have two other podcasts coming up today. We have Jerry Fraley, who will tell it like it is on the on the Rangers, uh, Ranger backup beat writer, baseball beat writer for three decades. He knows more about baseball. He's forgotten more about baseball than. I'll ever know. He's he's terrific. He knows everything. And then I think we're going to do a podcast with Chris Wagner on perhaps uh, sports films, sports movies. I like sports movies. What's your favorite sports movie? Let's give people a taste. Like any sport, any movie? Well, what's the f- if I say, Chris, what's the sport movie, the movie about sports that's your favorite? What is it? I am a big Bull Durham fan, but I don't know if that's my all-time How favorite. How about your favorite? It's my favorite baseball movie. What's your favorite basketball movie? Favorite basketball movie? That's tough. Um, I love Hoop Dreams. Um, for a lot of different reasons, which I, I guess we'll be getting into. Um, I like He Got Game, the Spike Lee movie with Ray Allen. There are are not a whole lot of really good Hoosiers, of course. Um, somebody will. Somebody you still will. haven't named my favorite basketball movie. Uh, the Fish that Saved Pittsburgh. No. <laughs> How about White Man Can't Jump? Oh, that's a good one. When it, whenever that's on, that's a good one. That's one of those movies. Whenever it's on. I'm watching. I it. like. I, no matter what time it's on, I love Rosie Perez in the Jeopardy scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my favorite, I, by far my Who favorite. Who that start with Q? So, and you know, Alan Malamud's in that, My who was, who was a longtime sports writer Marcus in Johnson Angeles. was in that. Yeah, and then my friend Bill Kaplan's in that movie. It's, it's, it's a great movie. Yeah. We'll talk more about that later. But for now, we'd like to thank everybody for listening to this Ballsy Podcast. Sorry Evan Grant had to be in Mexico, and sorry Kevin Sherrington is on some lake in Arkansas. And sorry that I had to be here with you. I'm not sorry. I'm sure you're sorry. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya.